I'll be leaving this destination, which is our faith. Which I'm very excited because we don't know how to get it. And uh, this is what it takes. So, would somebody read chapter 4, verses 1 through 8? What did Sergeant say when he came to Abraham? For if Abraham was justified by works, he was something to boast about before God. For what, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was accounted to him of righteousness. After the one who works, he waited for the counsel of the gift, but as his gift. To the one who does not work, but believes in him, uh, him who justifies ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness upon his works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the world will come for sin. So, he's asking the question about Abraham. Abraham is our forefather, according to the flesh probably citing him as being the great father of the Jewish race. Um, and and really, you know, from a Jewish standpoint, if it's good enough for Abraham, it's good enough. You know, I mean, he couldn't have selected a better example. Abraham was there, George Washington. I mean, he was the founder of the whole idea of the Jewish nation, the Jewish race. And so he says, you know, what has Abraham found? You know, Abraham, who's our father according to the flesh, the Jews, can also be our father according to the faith. Uh, and, and he has children according to the faith. And what's that going to amount to? So he says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now, if Abraham had received salvation by his works, by his effort, by his merit, he could have bragged about it. He would have deserved salvation. If you earn it and you work for it, then you got bragging rights. Because it's yours, right? And uh, you, you, you deserve it. But he says not before God because Abraham was not justified by his works. You know the life of Abraham. He was a great guy, but he sinned. He wasn't always righteous. So he wasn't justified by works. What does the scripture say? And he quotes Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. You know, his being right with God was based upon believing, not based upon merit. If Abraham couldn't be saved by his merit, what makes us think we can? You know, if you think about it that way. Um, He was justified by faith. And his faith was counted for righteousness. That's what the scripture says. That's how Genesis 15 said Abraham was justified. Not by merit, not by earning it, but by his faith. And and, and he says, Now to him who works, his wage is credited as a favor, but to what is what is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So he really goes back to thinking about what does it mean to be saved by works versus saved by faith. Works involves wages you're owed and you get paid because you work for it. Justification by works would mean justification for people who earned it by being innocent. It really should not be, if I'm on trial for murder and I haven't killed anybody, I don't need to thank the judge when he declares me innocent. He ought to declare me innocent. I didn't kill anybody. 
If we had never sinned, and God says, you're right, you're righteous, you're innocent, we shouldn't have to thank God. We deserved it. We were innocent. But that's not how it was for Abraham, obviously, because Abraham couldn't declare his innocence. You know, the wages and the favor, the wages is what's due. When you work for it and you earn it on the job, you don't say, I sure thank you for giving me my check this week. Maybe you do, but you don't have to say that because you earned it. You worked for it. You deserved it. But, but Abraham didn't deserve it. He didn't work for it. He gained it by faith. Now, notice what he says. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Did you get that? The one who justifies the ungodly. Exodus 23, 7. Exodus 23, 7. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent or, or the righteous, for I will not acquit the guilty. God is the one who doesn't acquit the guilty. And here he says he's the one who justifies the ungodly. Normally, acquitting the guilty, justifying the ungodly, is considered to be unjust. Normally, that's not a positive thing. That's a negative thing. Because it's like having this judge. Do you vote for a judge who his reputation is he lets criminals off the hook? He's a nice guy judge, but he's not doing what's righteous. So even saying God is the God who innocentizes the guilty, it's like, whoa, we serve a God like that? The only way God can do that and be just is by the sacrifice of Jesus. That's what we've been looking at. And Abraham is example A. He is the man who was right before God on the basis of his faith, not of his deserving. Now, you know the problem that people have with, with this, where they go to say, well, if we're not saved by works, then there's nothing you can do to receive the salvation. And you know the illustrations. I'm not going to do one at the moment. But if, if I were to offer a $20 bill to some kid in here and say, I'm going to give this to you and take it, you can have it. Does that kid have it if he doesn't come up and take it? Was I giving it to him? Yeah. But giving still requires action to receive it. It doesn't mean he worked for it. It doesn't mean he earned it. But it does mean he had to take the steps it took to get it, to receive it. And so that's where Abraham's faith comes in. And so when we say we're not saved by works, it means we don't earn it. We didn't, we didn't work to achieve it. It doesn't mean we didn't do something that it took to receive it. God has assigned some things that we need to do to receive forgiveness and salvation. Nothing that earns it for us, but steps we need to take to receive it. Like our faith, our obedient faith. Let me pause there. Do you have a question or comment about Abraham and his connection to your anything in 1 through 5? Peter, this is the you saying how faith requires works. It's not good works. The faith here is an obedient faith. So it requires action. It doesn't require earning works. So we've got to distinguish between works of obedience, works of faith, and works of merit, where I worked for it and I earned it. We use works in various ways. You know, and so so it's kind of the same situation for us. But here he's saying he was saved by his faith, 
not by earning it. The works were in the sense of earning it. Okay. Gary? Yes. Um, it, it goes back to what then becomes of our boasting. And it's the connection to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 that ends up talking about um, not of works lest we should boast, but God has created works that we are to do. And the completion of verse 10 helps us to understand the distinction of the works God's plan for us as opposed to works by which we think we can boast. Yes, certainly that's true. God wants us to do good works, but that's not the basis of our salvation. There are some activities involved in receiving salvation by faith, but they are not meritorious kind of works. So David, just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Now, how does David show that? Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Now, David's another great Jewish leader. I mean, if it's good enough for David, it's good enough for us. David lived under the law of Moses. And David shows what being justified by faith is all about because he talks about forgiveness. If you declare a man righteous apart from works, that's saying you're forgiving his sins and declaring him to be innocent on the basis of forgiveness. Justification is forgiveness. God declares a man righteous when he forgives him. That's what we're talking about here. When God declares us righteous, makes us righteous, he's forgiving us. So, the Old Testament in Abraham and David demonstrate that, that salvation, even in the Old Testament, was received on the basis of faith. That it was not something they earned. They received it by God's grace. It involved forgiveness. David's case shows that God provides forgiveness in the Old Testament. Because he knew Jesus would offer himself as a perfect sacrifice. So, uh, both Abraham and David demonstrate the idea of justification by faith. Not by deserving it, but by their trust in God. On that basis, God was willing to forgive them. That's showing both that boasting is excluded. It's also showing that this is right along the lines of the law. This is really not a whole different plan than the law had. The law intended for us to be justified by faith as well. Comments and questions? Let me show the next slide. And so we're looking at faith in Romans chapter 4. It seems like the logical place to go is to really zero in on what... Oh, we got here. So that's what I showed, the how the comparison is between the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4, and then go ahead and show that. All right, so we've got faith in works, faith in circumcision, faith in the law, faith in sight, faith in us. I think that's a pretty good way of breaking down chapter 4. So, would somebody read 9 through 12? <coughs> is this blessing then on the circumcised, or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. 
how then was it credited? While, while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. That may sound like double talk, but his point is, Abraham shows that you can be justified by faith without being circumcised. Because was Abraham circumcised or uncircumcised when Genesis 15, 6 was written? He was justified by faith. He was not circumcised. Circumcision hadn't even come into effect yet. Later on, Genesis 17, God commanded him to be circumcised, and he did. So Abraham shows how you can be justified by faith as an uncircumcised man, how you can be justified by faith as a circumcised man. You realize that for the Jews, they might have accepted the idea Gentiles can be saved by faith as long as they're circumcised. You know, you've got to proselytize them. You've got to make them a Jew, and then they can be saved by faith. And what he's showing here is, no, that's not true. Abraham is the pattern for the man of faith, whether he's circumcised or uncircumcised. Circumcision was more or less a seal of the righteousness that already existed. He was right with God on the basis of his faith, and circumcision did not give him justification, but more or less confirmed that. So it's not necessary to be circumcised. To be saved by faith. Questions or comments about that? There are some people who say Genesis 15 verse 6 as the defining moment of Abraham's faith and none other, no other example. James 2 kind of blows that out of the water. Uh, but faith is always shown by Abraham no matter what point in life. Good point. Yes, that's exactly right. We are not talking about a point in time he accepted Christ as personal Savior and that Savior. We're talking about a life of faith. So, I mean, when in Romans 4, Abraham's faith was asked to accept something, that he'd become a father uh, and so forth, he believed it. In uh, James 2, when his faith was called upon to do something, sacrifice his son, he did it. And he had a life of faith. I think that's exactly right. This was not a point at which God saved him. In fact, Abraham had been showing faith from the time he left, you know, the earth of the Chaldees, or at least left Haran in Genesis chapter 12. He had already been living by faith. This is just summarizing what he, his life of faith, and that that was uh, righteousness for him. Uh, and then in Galatians 3, the references him uh, leaving the land. So Galatians 3 covers Genesis 12, Romans 4 covers Genesis 15, and James 2, Genesis 22. Right. Um, would you tie uh, Romans 4.1 What shall we say then, Abraham our father, that this section, he's not only the father of the circumcised, but he's also the father of the uncircumcised? Well, I think he's saying our forefather according to the flesh. So I think he's saying as a Jew, he's our forefather according to the flesh. He's got another way of being a forefather according to the flesh, according to the spirit, or whatever. So I don't think so, but I may be wrong in how I would bring that together in that verse. And would the hour then imply that part of the audience who he's writing to is Jewish? I think part of it was, 
I don't know that it would. He could be using our as me and other Jews. But I think there were some Jews in his audience. But I think it was primarily a Gentile church. Christine. Baptism does not occupy the same place as circumcision. Actually, spiritual circumcision is God taking away our sins when we're baptized. It's not baptism. I don't think baptism and circumcision are parallel. But God removing our sins is a parallel to circumcision. So I think baptism is not a seal of our faith like circumcision was for Abraham. That's what I would say. Anybody else want to comment? Yes. I'll also say that Paul never said the Jews never had to be circumcised. The Jewish people still had to be circumcised to be a member of Israel. Right. Likewise, we need to be baptized to be a member of God's kingdom. Yes, true, but I don't think baptism and circumcision are parallel in the two covenants. But you are right. They did need to be circumcised under the old covenant. Other comments, of course. Okay, how about 13 to 16? So the promise to Abraham that he would be heir of the world was not through the law. promise to Abraham obviously wasn't by the law. If you had to be under the law to receive the promise, Abraham didn't receive the promise because he was never under the law. The law came later. So clearly the law is not essential to the promise to Abraham. Now he says, if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. Listen, if the inheritance came to the law, who would the inheritance go to? Nobody. Nobody kept the law. It would nullify faith and eliminate salvation because verse 15, the law brings about wrath. So the law shows our inadequacies and shows our need for a savior. The Lord, the law is more associated with wrath than with righteousness. And so all the law can do is set the standard and determine the penalty for breaking it. The law didn't justify. So if it was, if salvation was by law, then there would be no salvation. That's his point. Uh, there is no law that justifies. Because law can't justify. Law only gives the standard and the penalty. So they, salvation is not by law. The promise to Abraham was not through the law. 
For this reason is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants. God arranged for the fulfillment of the promise to be by faith so that we would have salvation. So the promise would be guaranteed. So there'd be, there would be security and assurance. So there'd be hope. So we could get receive our salvation. The promise is not only for those who have the law, but also for those who have the faith of Abraham. So you see the idea that Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation physically. But he was the father of all who had faith spiritually. And so he, he encompasses both Jew and Gentile. And so salvation is not by works, not by circumcision, not by the law. It's by this faith, this obedient commitment to the Lord. Comments and questions to verse 16, Matt. So what, the promise here, would that be referenced to the promise of in Genesis 12, which would have been before the law was given? I think so, particularly the promise of, of the seed that would bless all the nations of the world. Other thoughts? Okay, I'm going to pause here and let me give you several instructions. We're going to eventually break for uh, supper, but I need to tell you a few things.